I'm, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to be sharing a message with you in just a moment. Um, we, we hear this a lot. It's kind of common now. In Spanish, you don't hear it as much. Dios es bueno. Todo el tiempo. Amen. See? God is good all the time. Un poquito español. <laughs> but we, it, you hear it enough, and it's just kind of like, okay, it's a little slogan. Well, there's a lot to that statement. We're going to explore that. I want to share something with you before I jump into that, though. How good the Word of God is. Because it is God's Word. Inspired means God breathed it out into these men as they wrote it. And uh, I'm, I'm, accountability, I've, I'm an accountability pers- uh, person for someone that's uh, um, going through uh, a pornography uh, problem. And uh, I've known them for years and years. They, they live in another state. And I was a little surprised when I got the call. And uh, I'm not going to go into all the details, but I'm, I get a report on him. There's this thing called Covenant Eyes. I've never heard of it. He loaded it on his computer and on his phone, and it tracks everywhere he goes, every website, and they send me a weekly report, and we, we just in a phone conversation, talk to him, pray with him. Great couple, um, praying for God to just do a great work there. But uh, uh, <clears throat> he asked me, what can I be studying? I says, well, you, you, need, to, you need to get into Romans. Now, I know you're shocked that I told him that. And he says, well, what else can I read? I said, well, I'm going to tell you the book that probably had a greater impact on me than any book outside the Bible, and that's the normal Christian life. So I got somebody else reading that. But this is what I told him. I said, listen, I think it is so neat that you can sit down with a cup of coffee and have the Apostle Paul sit down with you. And talk to you. Talk straight to you. Because even though he wrote that years ago, he wrote it to you. He wrote it to me. And I said, even though Keith Green's been dead since the 80s, he and I hang out together. He's still a really good guy. Singing hasn't dropped off one bit. (laughs) But I think the Bible is this amazing book that I hope we don't look at it like it's remote from us, that, that it was written for us, is written to us, for us to, to grow and, and to have God talk to you like that is just an amazing thing for me. I want to uh, share something with you. This is um, from Genesis chapter 1. I, this, is, this is kind of prefacing what I'm, I'm going to be sh- sharing this evening. Four sentences in the Bible, this word shows up. Just four sentences in the Bible for this word to show up. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon that waters, those waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, 
Now, how does God determine something good? I tell you how we determine how something's good by comparison. We always that word is a word, it's a relative word. It's, it's good as compared to something that may not be so good. What God saw what he did, and he determined that what he did was good, and it says he separated the light from the darkness. Now, just get this for a moment. That's kind of like an elementary thing on creation, right? But just just stop right here with me for a moment. God's character was expressed in his creation. And the one thing that he was not going to allow to remain was darkness. His character would not allow darkness to have dominance. So he said, first thing he did was deal with that. Why? Because he is infinitely good and darkness was opposite that. He is light. So darkness, here, here's a material world. This is a material world. You know, and if you ever, J. Finnis Dake Bible, if you, I don't even know if people still have the Dake's Bible, but he also uh, wrote a book called uh, God of the Ages, something like that. And, and they said there's a big gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 that all kinds of things happen. I don't know. People people. Ask me that. I don't know if there was something between Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-2, like the dinosaurs that gave space for the dinosaurs to live and die. I don't know that. Nobody knows that. But we do know this, that God created everything. And it's interesting that in multiple places, Jesus is connected to that creation. If you look in John 1... It says uh, something like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, through the Word, all things were made. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. Anything material that was made, Jesus was there involved in it. I, I think that's a proper interpretation of that, right? I kind of, you know, follow that. Then it shows up again in Colossians chapter 1. I love Colossians. I could, I could listen to Colossians. I, I could read. I just love this book. I kind of love Romans too. It's just so much to love, and you can only read one thing at a time. It's just something wrong with that. <clears throat> I will tell you this. If I wake up at an odd time at night, and I don't feel like I slept long enough, I'll put my earphones on so I won't disturb Brenda, and then I'll turn on the Bible. And I turned on Colossians this morning about 4 o'clock. 4 o'clock in the morning. I wasn't really ready to get up at 4 o'clock. I said, I'm going to need some more rest. Somewhere in the book of Colossians, I fell asleep, (laughs) earphones on. When I woke up, it was in James. I, was, I thought I'd overslept or something. So somewhere in my psyche is Hebrews. Some, some, I, I'm, I'm probably going to dream about Hebrews tonight because it just got in my subconscious. 
But this is a passage in Colossians 1. Listen to the magnitude of what Paul is saying about Jesus' role in things that were made. This is verse 15, if you want to chart this with me. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in Him all things were created. You know what I think that means? That in Him all things were created. And and if that doesn't, like, tell you, he, He... Make sure things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers, authorities, all things, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, that's you and I. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, I really love the King James preeminence, that he is to be at the top of all things in considering of worship and magnitude. Well, Hebrews 1 kind of follows this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. This is verse 3 of chapter 1, the exact representation of his being. I'm going to ask you a couple questions here in just a moment, so hang on. The exact representation of his being sustaining, that's that whole thing about holding. He sustains all things by his powerful word. That Jesus is is causing the universe to stay intact by his word. He's holding everything in place. We say gravitational pull and all this and, and the galaxies. It says here it's all being held by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, and he became so much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So why is Jesus so connected to creation? And why does Scripture make such a point that here the Son of God, pre-existent, eternal with the Father, had a major role in creation? Why do you think that was important to note? I think we get the idea that if it's mentioned this many times, that there's really something about it that, that should stand out to us. And I really think maybe we read stuff and we're like, wow, that's interesting, and just go on. Why do you think it was so important to mention this many times? <clears throat> it's not a trick question. There's not a... Right and wrong answer. He is the exact representation of God. God in the beginning, Elohim created Barah, the Hashemim, the Ha'eretz, the heavens and the earth. And he says he's the exact representation. He is the exact representation. When Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father, he says, You've been around him for three years. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because I am the exact representation of the Father. If you want to know how the Father deals with people who are broken, have you watched how I minister to them? That's the Father. I don't do anything outside of being that exact representation of the Father. 
So this comes back. Why did God create everything? Why do all this? Why did he create Adam? Now you're just jumping ahead on me. Yeah, that's in Revelation 4. We're going to go there in just a moment. But I want to connect something to that, and, and that's an important passage. And King James translated that particular passage so different than other translations, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But God created Adam, and sometime after he created Adam, he put him to sleep, took a rib out, and he formed Eve out of Adam. And do we have any clues outside of what Jim has said? <laughs> Why he did that? The clue is Revelation 4. That is the clue. And it's verse 11. Thought about this when we were seeing how great thou art. Thou art worthy. This is the exaltation given to God. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in Revelation. He's there. He's there with the Father. John is seeing it in the future. And they're yelling out this praise. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things. Jesus is in the middle of that, right? And for thy pleasure they are and were created. And if you've got a different translation, it says, and for his will, right? It is the word thelema, which is translated will. But will could, you know, we say, what is the will of God? Many times it's what is the desire of God that, that is linked with that word. What does God want? I think when we're praying for the will of God, we need to just stop and say, what does God want me to do. When people are considering major decisions in their life, they need to come and put that question in front of them and say, do I know what God wants me to do? I might know what everybody else wants me to do, and I may know what I want to do, but have you stopped and said, what does the Lord require here? And what does He desire here? Does He desire my best? Can you talk to God with, about anything and says? And say with confidence, Lord, whatever you want, I know what you want for me is the best. It is the highest good that you can lead me. It may not be the easiest path that he's calling you to, but he knows how good it's going to be. How much this is going to fit you. How much this is going to bring you to the place he wants you to be. I, I can tell you, I got broke of shortcuts in Florida. When, we, when I went to Bible college, because there's lakes everywhere. He's like, well, I think it's over there, and I just cut through here, and the next time in, in just a few miles, you're going around the lake. I says, now I'm confused as to where I, I got around this lake, and I spent more time trying to find out where I was at than getting... And, and what we want, we want to get to a place, but we want the shortest detour. We don't want to press through those, those troubling times and those pressing times, and we said, well, God, what you want me to get to a certain place. I want to make the right decisions. And that's part of that word, thelema, what the purpose. It means the purpose of God to bless mankind through Christ. That's one of the definitions of thelema. 
the purpose of God to bless mankind through his son. That's what God wants to do is to bless mankind through his son. Why? Because God is infinitely good. And he wants his good to be poured out on you. It was out of good intentions that God created everything. He had good intentions. This was not an experiment. <laughs> he knew what he was doing, and he knew he was creating us, and he knew beforehand that Adam and Eve was going to crash and burn, right? Because even before he created them, they already discussed how they were going to redeem them and how they were going to redeem their children and their grandchildren and the human race that would pour from them. They had already made a determinant, Jesus would be the reconciler. The goodness of God is the motivation for God doing. And think about this. When you read Revelation 4.11, the goodness of God is what should motivate our praise. Here's a psalm that we probably have heard multiple times in our life. I like King James because that's what I grew up listening to when I come to memorizing Scripture. Make a... Joyful noise, what psalm is that? Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Watch this theme. He has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. We're talking about worship, right? Enter his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is... What? The goodness of the Lord should be the motivation of our praise. Not whether we're having a good day or not. And what happens is we bring our emotions with us. <laughs> and we determine how God is feeling that day by our emotions. And God wouldn't be really interested in my praise because he knows <laughs> how out of sorts I am and how aggravated I am and how this day hasn't went very well and the kids didn't cooperate and things just went haywire on the way to church and, and you know, families kind of settle things on the way, and they get out of the hills. smile. Praise God, it's so good to be in church today. We just had it out coming down the road, but we love God. We're going we're gonna to sing, we're going to be worshiping the Lord because this is what we're supposed to do. No, you need to do that because he deserves it. Where in the world did we qualify whether we should worship the Lord or not by how we feel? And I do believe when he says bring the sacrifice of praise that that means more to him when you're emotionally not in it. When you're emotionally, you, you, you just want somebody to say, tell me it's going to work out. Tell me I'm going to make it. Tell me that God is going to come through. Because we're holding on maybe by a thin thread and what we need to remember is Psalm 100 for the Lord is good his mercy 
is everlasting and is Truth endureth unto all generations. What, what, is that last, what is that last verse really telling you and me? What is it telling us? Is it telling us the nature and character of God? That He's good, He's merciful, and He's authentic. He is truth. He will always be truth. He can't be anything but truth. He is always good. He cannot be anything but good. He is merciful. He cannot be anything but merciful. And we know when we say, what are the attributes of God? What are the words we're used to? What are the attributes of God? What are the words we're used to? Omnipotent, all-powerful. Omnipresent, can be everywhere, anywhere, at any time. Holy, omniscient, all-knowing. You know, some people can make a perfect score in the act test, but they don't know everything. God knows everything. Knows it's infinite. He's infinite in his knowledge. But he's also good. He's infinitely good. And when you think about good, I think one of the words that comes when it says mercy, his kindness... His goodness leads us into His kindness. The kindness of God and the goodness of God kind of go hand in hand. He is good. He is kind to us. He only wants what's best for us. He never chastens us, as according to your class, outside of His love. He will correct us because He wants what's best for us. We may say, Lord, why did that happen? Why did that take place? And there's some things we're not ever going to get an answer to. But I tell you, he will bring us through those places and show us his goodness. I guarantee that the people in Texas and in Louisiana, if you try to tell them, maybe some of them, that God is good, they, they may, you know, disagree with you there. They don't see the goodness of God in the storm. And how can anybody see that? But I can tell you they are seeing the goodness of God because the people that are reaching out to them. Now, all of those things are part of life, aren't they? You know, a tornado, we're, you know, every time something happens, my cousin, my cousin, one of my cousins in Evansville calls me up, calls me up during the volleyball game. Y'all okay? I I says, yeah, I can't hear you. I'm in a gymnasium. But she worries about us. Tornadoes and all this. I said, we're okay. It's like we're, we're almost used to it. And she thinks that's just crazy. How could you get used to it? But it comes to a point, what do you do? You, you, do you get so scared that you are, are paralyzed? Or do you come to a place, Lord, my life is in your hands. And I'll trust you with it. This is about the character of God. We sing sometimes songs that are not very uh, theologically based. I'm not going to be like Dan Betzer and tell you the ones that aren't. But we sing a song, You Are Good. You are good when there's nothing good in me. And that's exactly the truth. He created us knowing that there would be nothing in us to save us. It would be all up to Him. That his goodness would lead us to repentance. His kindness would pull us to his heart. Because he, we get the idea, boy, 
that study on mere Christianity is going to be off the chart good. I've been previewing that. I was like, man, just the goodness of God because he knows we're failures. He knows we fail at life. He knows we don't have everything we need apart from him. We don't have what we need to get through life. We have to have him. We're failures. We, we cannot succeed at life without him. And it's out of his goodness that he gave us his son. It's his goodness that reaches out to us. I love the, the chorus there. I'm running to your arms. I'm running. What, what could you say is in, in that statement? I'm running to your arms. You could say, I see love in that statement. I see mercy in that statement. I see grace in that statement. And I see goodness in that statement. Because when you're talking about running into the arms, and what does it say? Nothing compares to your embrace, the, the kiss of grace upon our life, the love of God, the mercy of God, the goodness of God. Light of the world forever reigns. And then that bridge, my heart will sing no other name. Jesus. Because he's good, he created us and has nothing but good for us. Here's the catch, though. It's our receptivity to that that causes the fruit. Because God's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. The goodness of God is poured out on the entire world. And somewhere, somewhere in an unreached people group, somebody has a clue inside their soul that there's more to it than what they know. There's a conviction on their life. And thank God for Romans 1 and Romans 2 that gives us the idea that maybe somebody, by conscience sake, is knowing him before they know the gospel. Isn't that encouraging? A.W. <laughs> Tozer wrote this. The goodness of God is the drive behind all the blessings he daily bestows upon us. The goodness of God is behind it. God created us, he continued, God created us because he felt good in his heart. And I don't know how A.W. Tozer knew that, but I'll take his word for it. God created us because he felt good in his heart and he redeemed us for the same reason. I believe you can say that he loves you. He loves you. If you ever doubt that, just look at the cross. In A.W. Tozer, he had these medieval mystics that influenced his life. Julian of Norwich was one of them. And he referenced her by saying she saw that all of our religious activities and every means of grace, however right and useful they may be, are nothing until we understand that the unmerited, spontaneous goodness of God is back of all and underneath all his acts. He doesn't do anything for us that doesn't come out of his goodness. Now what that means is that since God is immutable, and this is kind of blows your brain up a little bit, he is unchanging, meaning this, he cannot be more good today I used the word gooder the other day just to provoke a response from a teenager. And she told me, she says, that's not a word. 
I said, I just said it. It's a word. Well, it's not a proper word. I said, but it's a word. And even you just said that I said a word. Gooder. <laughs> I just did it on purpose. I don't really talk like that not most of the time anyway. But God is no more good today than he was yesterday and can't be tomorrow. He cannot be more kind today. Think about this. He cannot be more kind to you today than he's ever been. It will never change. His kindness to you does not have variations. So what is the holdup with us sometimes? It's not on his part. We can let things cloud in on us and just suffocate us to the point that we don't sense that and we don't feel that. But uh, this truth ought to reverberate in you in those moments that God feels the same about you that he's ever felt about you. And that is he has perfect love for you. He has perfect mercy, perfect grace. There's nothing you can do to provoke the goodness of God because if you could, then it would not be coming from him and out of his character. It would mean that you could do certain things to move God to do certain things, and he never moves outside of his own cause. He is the cause of everything he does. And he says, so what this really hits at is our, we kind of like, you know, merit. If I do enough things and I read enough of the Bible, and, you know, I grew up in Sunday school, one, one of the things we filled out in our class was how many chapters we read and I, I forget I hadn't read the Bible much that week, so I'd go to, like, Psalms 122, 123, and I'd just read the fire out of about eight of those little beauty Psalms, and I wrote out eight, eight chapters. I read eight chapters. You know, I was just doing that not to get a lecture from my mom. But we, we almost think that if we do things good enough and passionate enough that God's going to treat us differently. It may seem that way, but here's what happens. It puts you in a better place to experience what he's doing. He was doing that all along. We were just kind of, you know, out of sorts. We, were, we weren't aware that he was doing something, and it brought us back into the flow of what he was doing. You know, I, I know that uh, I heard that some professor said that what happened in Texas was a result that Texas was too Republican, that that was karma. I understand that professor lost his job, which is pretty good. But you know what? That's, that's how sinful man thinks. Sinful man thinks in blame and pointing fingers. And boy, do we have people pointing fingers today. Sinful man wants to push the blame. They see something like that. And, and if we're not careful, even people who read the Bible and the judgment of God and this is the last days and, and I think when all of that happened to New Orleans, you know, that in Katrina, there was people that suggested because that's kind of a sin city. I was like, it's a, it's a hurricane. And you're on the coast. <laughs> that's, those two things don't work very good. And Brenda lived in Ocean Springs, Mississippi, right across the bay from Biloxi. 
when Camille came through in 69. And they headed up to Laurel to her grandparents, and that wasn't far enough north. But thank God their house was spared. But these things happen. This is the, the, these are seasons. And I, don't, and I don't think God creates hurricanes. I think weather creates hurricanes. But he did say in one instance in Matthew 24 that earthquakes would be on the rise as we headed toward the coming of the Lord. And so he didn't say hurricanes, he said earthquakes. But people try to say, well, what caused this? Was this God? Was this? I really don't like what insurance calls them, acts of God. It's weather patterns. These things happen. No suffering comes to everybody at some point. The goodness of God does not prevent suffering from happening happening to us. Can you imagine, you know, let's just say Corpus Christi, Texas and Houston, let's just say that was like in Egypt when God sent a plague and it only hit the Egyptians and over there where the Israelites were, they didn't, they didn't suffer the plague. When it was dark over here to everybody, it was light over. Can you imagine what that would happen if if God made that hurricane only flood sinners' homes. And people start realizing, well, everybody that loves the Lord and goes to church, their home didn't get touched. That wouldn't, that wouldn't be his character. Because the Bible says he reigns on the just and the unjust. And when these things happen, when these things happen, that's when the character of the church ought to be seen. People have asked me, people, and I've tried to get word out, you know, you can go online to Convoy of Hope and contribute. It takes about 60 seconds to contribute. And they got 18-wheelers going in there right down. And there's going to be 18-wheelers going in there for a while. We have no... It, it can't even be probably added up, maybe some wild estimate when all of this is over with, that that's going to be the worst natural disaster we, we have seen in my lifetime. It's going to be worse. It, n Katrina was nothing compared to what's, what's happened there. And it's not through. And so people say, what... what you go to Convoy Hope because this is where this is the church's moment. This is where our moment is to minister to people. To not just pray, but to say, hey, I can give $25 or $50. And if the church as a whole would rise up can, and, and go through Samaritan's Purse or Convoy Hope, these are Christian ministries, it shows the goodness of God in the midst of heartache and trouble. Goodness doesn't block our fallen world from coming our way. But it gives us a way through it. It gives us hope. Tozer said, and I'll finish with this, the greatness of God rouses fear within us. And I think that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The greatness of God, the power, the awe of God rouses fear within us, but His goodness encourages us not to be afraid of Him. 
to fear and not be afraid. That's the paradox of faith. That's what he said. How you can have the, the fear of the Lord by knowing his awe. And over here, you want to run into his arms. Because you know as great and as awesome as he is, he wants to put his arms around you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to heal you. He wants to encourage you. He's a father in heaven that says, if you as an earthly parent know how to give your child something to eat when they're hungry, how much more will he give you in your time of need? There's not even a comparison. It is easy for us to give something good to our children. It is innate within us to love our children, to protect them, to do everything we can in our power to help them. And we're flawed. We don't have anything close to the goodness of God. And as much as you feel for your son or daughter or your grandchildren, God feels perfectly love for you and goodness towards you. So what, what can we do to live in that truth, in that principle? Well, here's one final suggestion. Never assign to God human emotions. They don't fit him. He said, well, I'm really happy. How happy? Are you perfectly happy? Are you perfectly joyful? He said, well, I'm perfectly sad right now. But no emotion that you have is the emotion that God... God doesn't have emotion. He has character. He doesn't move with emotion. He created us to be emotional and some of us to be more emotional than others. And I'm one of those very emotional persons. And God gave me a wife that's calm in trouble. I'm the one that says, Oh, oh, we got to go to the emergency room. He busted his head open. He said, it's okay. It's probably only going to take two or three stitches. It's okay. No problem. And I'm like, ah, he's bleeding everywhere. God doesn't react that way. Either way, he's perfectly good to us. He's perfectly, I just, I hope that I can drive that to you, that when you walk out of this, no matter what happens the rest of the day or tomorrow, none of it has any effect on who God is. What the effect needs to be on who he is affects us. And that we can trust him no matter what we're facing. Because he knows everything anyway, doesn't he? We can, like, say something privately, but it's all in his audience. And you can be absolutely honest with him. And it's okay with him. Praise God. Would you stand with me?